0: My name is uh, Jason Punasamy. I'm Deputy CEO with Waystone. Thank you for joining us today. And um, we're here to discuss both cybersecurity and the related issue of data protection, particularly as they relate to Irish fund boards. Uh, with me are Connor and Sinead uh, from the Compliance Services Division within Waystone. And I'll hand over to Connor and Sinead to introduce themselves.
1: Good morning, and uh, thank you, Jason, for that. Um, my name is Conor Flynn and I've worked in the information security business for the last 30 years or so, and I founded ISAS in 2011, and in 2021, in April, um, as Jason mentioned, we came together with uh, three other companies to form Waystone Compliance Services, and I'm now Chief Information Security Officer with Waystone. Over the years, I've been a, a cyber advisor to key government departments, state bodies, and then in the private sector with financial services companies. And we've had a strong focus in the regulated environment and with startups in both the fintech and the regtech sector. I'm going to hand over to Sinead now to introduce herself.
2: Hi, my name is Sinead McDonald. Um, I joined ISAS in 2017, just before GDPR came into force. I have a background in, in law, regulation, and in the financial services sector. I worked for 17 years um, in a multinational, and it's it's nice to see some of my colleagues who are attending here today. It's good to see them. Um, currently, for, um, I act as a data protection officer for a number of public sector clients that we have, and also in the fintech um, sector, as well as social media and a political party. We offer DPOs as a service, and we also offer data protection services.
0: Thanks very much, Sinead. So as I mentioned, we're here to discuss uh, cybersecurity and data protection issues as they relate specifically to to fund boards. Now, based on the discussions that we've had with independent directors, investment managers, and the funds community in general, it seems that there's a very specialist requirement for cybersecurity and data protection. And it doesn't just or it can't just fall within the standard due diligence anymore. Uh, So Connor and Sinead, before we get into that, maybe just in terms of context, could you give us a few examples of how cybersecurity has affected the financial industry and the fund industry in particular?
2: Sure, I might start here, Jason. So um, in a recent report by the European Commission, they have indicated that the incidence of cybersecurity events has increased by 38% since the start of the pandemic. And for the audience here today, probably the most um, notable one, and the one that was publicized the most, was the one in April 2020 of MJ Brunner, um, a US-based service provider to a number of of investment managers and advisors. And they were the victim of a ransomware attack. And when they failed to pay the ransom, The hackers disclosed a lot of company data, including the personal data of investors online, because Personal data was involved and the personal data of investors Um, a number of um, organizations had to report the incident to the Data Protection Commission here in Ireland and to follow through on that report and to keep the Data Protection Commission up to speed on the investigation and any mitigating um, factors that were put in place to prevent this happening again. I
1: think um, I'm going to highlight again some further examples of um, the scourge that we are now dealing with at a global level um, called ransomware uh, that Sinead touched on there. And it has touched so many parts of society, but in the financial services sector, we also saw uh, this year that a company called CNA Financial, uh, they were hit with ransomware and they ended up paying the ransom of $40 million dollars because their systems were so badly compromised, and they did not have their resilience and their ability to recover from an incident in place, and they couldn't meet their customer service level requirements. So they ended up having to pay this $40 million ransom to get themselves back online. We've also seen the uh, ransomware outbreak that happened within the health service executive in Ireland. Um, That has touched everybody's lives uh, who, who are living here in Ireland, and they The impact is still being felt, no more so than when it comes to the uh, state's purses, when we are looking at a final bill, probably in excess of 750 million euro based on current estimates, and possibly up to a billion euro. So, from a a tangible event perspective, uh, this is the kind of thing that we are very, very concerned about. And this is the, the sort of cyber breaches that are devastating organizations across the globe.
0: Okay, so it's, it's obviously a very real um, threat to, to the community in general and to, to fund boards as well. Um, in terms of the regulatory response and, and regulatory drivers behind, you know, the whole cyber, de- dealing with cybersecurity and the data protection aspect of it, Connor, could you give us a bit of flavour as to what the, uh, the central bank is saying?
1: Yeah, so I think the central bank, like many of the regulators um, across the globe and you know, particularly what we're focused on here in Europe and Ireland are looking at is the, the, the risks and the, uh, the management of the, the cyber uh, environment from a, a funds perspective and the service providers operating that area. And over the last couple of years, I mean, starting in 2016, we, we had a, a strong focus and guidance from the, the central bank. Um, we then had, in 2019, we had the thematic letters that were sent to the uh, CEOs of the uh, people who are operating in the, in the funds area and the, the financial services area with regard to their uh, preparedness and the, the thematic inspections and the, the, the areas that they focused on. And more recently, we're beginning, we're, we've seen the consultation papers uh, that have been issued um, by the CBI. And in particular, if we look at a couple of those in particular, I mean, the, the two that, that really spring out to us at the moment from a cyber perspective are um, CP138 and CP140. And, you know, the, the CP138 is, you know, very clearly clearly focused on outsourcing and, you know, we're Looking there at you know, what the what the, the central bank are trying to do is you know get organisations to focus on the, um, the 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 risk areas that they have and then in, in in CP one forty um, we've got the the area the, the whole area of operational resilience so again what we're trying to do is um, you know bring a, a focus. Upon the these these specific points and uh, 140 um, CP 140 is you know again um, it, it is currently a consultation paper. It will likely become guidance, and there is some very specific guidelines in the within those um, guideline nine talks about the resilience strategies. And that a fund and a service provider must be able to to demonstrate and they must have evidence of it. Um, And this this resilience comes back to the points we mentioned with regard to the breaches, like we talked about with MJ Brunner, with CNA Financial and the HSE outside of Financial Services. That resilience is key. But then when something does go wrong, uh, guideline 12 speaks about the uh, incident management strategy. And a lot of value that's put in an organization today is um, how it deals with an incident when it occurs. And this is going to be one of the key things, because we we do have to expect that there will be some. We'll do our very best to um, make sure there isn't any. But how you deal with it when it does occur. And guideline 14 follows on from that very clearly. It says that, well, having had an incident and having dealt with it, what were the lessons learned? how can you improve your process, how can you improve your resilience and make sure that if something else happens again in the future, you will deal with it better. That, these are some examples of where the, the CBI, and we're seeing other regulators, we're seeing the Digital Operational Resilience Act, and you know, I know Sinead's going to touch on that, but there, there, are, there are other areas um, you know, in more detail that we, 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 is becoming a very complex area for the regulator to deal with.
0: Okay. And Sinead, from an international perspective there, what, what are we seeing in terms of regulatory requirements and guidance?
2: I think, I think, as Connor mentioned, the key, the key word is resilience. Um, it's mentioned in the, the UK, the FSA's and the PRA's guidelines on operational resilience that they published in March of this year. The BAL principles for operational resilience was published in April of this year. And in the US uh, across the Atlantic, they're talking about sound practices to strengthen operation resilience. From a European perspective, what we're looking at now is the Digital Operational Resilience Act. It is a proposal from the European Commission. It forms part of their wider digital financial strategy, and it seeks to create a harmonized approach across the EU, including regulators and the the financial services industry. And the pillars within that proposal are risk management and governance. They are operation resilience testing, um, supply chain management, incident reporting and information sharing, audit access, and retrospective analysis. And while this is still a proposal, again, from the Commission and has to go through the whole European process with the Parliament and with the Council, it is expected to become law in 2022. And it was referred to by the central bank in their CP140. So resilience is a theme that is not going away.
0: And that's interesting because it seems to be a case that the regulators, uh, both here and abroad, are looking at how it can be done Within us specifically, so rather than looking at it within the context of traditional operational due diligence, have carved out and are focusing on on both cyber and data protection very specifically. Um, so, Connor, I guess the challenge here is figuring out exactly how you how to how to translate these principles and these these guidance to specific requirements for fund boards. So, so what do you see? As, as, as being able to address that challenge and what are some of the difficulties potentially around implementation?
1: Um, I, I think the, the, the challenge for a board is where they've engaged with a service, service provider and the uh, service provider is equally aware of the regulations, but how are they demonstrating to the board um, that they are actually you know, complying and they are protecting the board in terms of meeting the, the, the obligations and the, the, the items that have been listed in the regulation. And you know, I, I mentioned some specific items within the, you know, what's happening within CP138, for instance, with regard to outsourcing. And an example there is you know, the, um, what, what um, risk assessment, uh, what management controls are being put in place with regard to sensitive data and the management of it, and the availability of it, and it's very difficult for um, board members to look at uh, technical uh, reports that are being presented uh, to them by the. They're saying that oh, we have this covered, we have that covered, um, and so they, I, I think there is a lack of consistency in the type of reporting, uh, which is making it very difficult for directors to meet their obligations because ultimately the responsibility is with the board. To make sure that there is compliance with the guidelines and the regulations um, and the how they assess their uh, service providers is the, the real measure
0: okay so very much when we're talking about good governance by irish fund boards if i understand you correctly what we're saying is that we need to ensure that there's good governance of obviously all the service providers that there's consistent governance and a consistent standard by which we can aggregate and and, and compare those service providers Um, And also by assisting um, in terms of, you know, a lot of the technical aspects around cybersecurity as well.
1: Absolutely. And and it is, you mentioned a word there, it is technical and it is specific and it requires expertise. And, you know, the the board representative, the, the, the directors that are sitting on the boards, um that they have to be able to make you know risk-based uh, decisions based on information that is presented to them about the um the, the investment strategies and the direction that they're going and make those sort of decisions. but they have to be presented with um information that they can interpret that is in plain English and that will help them make those um, decisions and that those the information that they're looking at and assessing must be consistent across all the different service providers. If you've got, Service Provider 1 providing a high-level executive two-page summary, and and Service Provider 3 is providing a thousand-page technical, very detailed um, technical report output. They're two very different things to make uh, decisions on, and I think it's quite uh, akin to the role of the uh, MLRO and the, the technical expertise that is required in terms of advising a board with regard to decisions. Okay.
0: So you touched on the MLRO there, and obviously the MLRO is a a dedicated function that serves the fund board and and helps um, the directors in terms of their governance of the board. It seems that, is it fair to say that you're suggesting something similar is emerging within the cybersecurity space?
1: I I think so, uh, Jason, because I think the, the, the board needs plain English. It must be consistent information with regard to all the different service providers and it needs that information that is gathered from them there there's there needs to be a lot of it it needs to be technical in its nature but it needs to be interpreted then by what we are proposing and what our customers have actually been asking us for is what we call the cyber officer it is uh, the role that will be able to um advise the the directors of the of the fund and on the uh, performance from a cyber perspective of each of the different service providers to that fund and show them performance over time. Um, but the important thing is there'll be a consistent level of reporting is what we're proposing in this role to the board, uh, that they the board can take assurance from the assessments that are being carried out and the depth of those assessments and the granularity of them, but that the, we will surface up then a very easy, straightforward to interpret and a, a solid artefact to be part of the board paper pack. Okay,
0: it, that, that, that's a really interesting concept. And I guess um, Sinead, what's, what we'd be interested in hearing is how the data protection element of that feeds into the cybersecurity aspect, because obviously, um, you know, cybersecurity is around the the, the, the the issue and the risk of your data being compromised. So how do you see data protection fitting in with cybersecurity?
2: So yes, so there is an overlap when it comes to security. One of the GDPR principles deals with integrity and confidentiality. And it says that personal data must be processed in a manner that ensures appropriate security of the personal data, including protection against unauthorized and unlawful processing using what is known in GDPR as technical and organizational measures. And it's these technical and organizational measures that are the measures through which information security controls are implemented. And that's where the overlap is. And now from a fund's perspective, data protection is a key consideration in the whole area of AML. this is illustrated when you look at the latest european parliament um, proposals in the fight against money laundering and terrorism financing as you will be aware this legislative package includes uh, two directives and two regulations with the idea of a harmonized increased effectiveness and enhanced supervision in the area of aml and what the European Data Protection Supervisor has said is that there are certain areas of concern and certain areas that they would like um, to be included or not to be included as the case may be. And there we're looking at the the package should identify specific categories of personal data that must be processed and not left to technical standards. The conditions and the limits for processing the special category data and criminal conditions and offences should be set out there should be no requirement for the processing of certain personal categories of personal data, of special categories of personal data. And there must always have this idea of necessity and proportionality, which is a theme in data protection in relation to the access to the information required for AML checks. So this is where it is very evident that more data protection is going to come into the fund sphere and also where that interaction is from a cybersecurity perspective.
0: All right then, so with all of that in mind, uh, we're just scrolling through some of the questions that have come in here, and there are some some excellent ones um, and very practical. Uh, the first one is: um, you can't eliminate all cybersecurity risk, but what is an acceptable level of risk? So, Connor, I might pass that one to you.
1: Okay, so I think one of the very first things we want to talk about is, um, you know, how you how you uh, assess risk, and one of the things that we have to be very careful of is that. Compliance with regulation or legislation is not a risk-based decision. It is mandatory. It is the the, the is requirement under law that you will follow the the guidance and the the follow the uh, the specific regulation where it is laid out as such. Where the the risk assessment piece comes into it is with regard to the risk appetite of a board with regard to the, you know, the approach that they are taking with with regard to. Uh, investment risk. Uh, there, there are lots of types of risk that a board need to be able to uh, make decisions upon. But from a cyber perspective, um, you know what is very important, you know, for uh, the, the risk appetite and assessing risk is that the consistency and the accuracy of the information upon which the the scoring. I mean, we, we you know a lot of people would still rely upon the traditional. You know, the uh, impact by likelihood um, multiplication of score is, is the way you, you come up with a, a risk score. And then the board might say, well, our appetite is n- nothing above a 20 where you've got a five by five matrix and something like that might be one way you go to it. But to come up with that impact by likelihood, you have to have solid information. It must be consistent when you're applying that risk analysis methodology then across multiple different service providers so that it's, you're not favoring one over another by looking at um, different qual- quality uh, of reports that are being presented. Now, again, that's where we feel the cyber officer is going to be something that will, will assist boards because we, we'll be able to assure them of the consistency of the information that's being provided in each of the service provider assistance. Um, uh, the, the assessments that have been provided, and that way they can make their risk-based decisions um, in line with the risk appetite.
0: Okay, very good. Um, so I guess that kind of leads into the next question. Again, it's um, it, it asks, what should a director look for by way of cybersecurity KPIs when brought back?
1: And I think, Jason, that's a really good question because it comes back to why are we coming up with this cyber officer role? And it, part of the, the issue was directors were looking at reports that were being presented to them. And it was down to each organization themselves who was supplying and generating the report to put in what they felt were the KPIs that were appropriate, but probably you know were flattering as well, um, to be honest. And the, the, there wasn't a consistency across them. So, how frequently am I doing penetration testing? When was my last information security breach? Have I done tabletop exercise testing for ransomware outbreaks? You know what's my patching cycle? You could go through a multiplicity of you know kPIs that you could start looking you know looking for people to present in their reports. But we believe that the the approach of carrying out the assessments and delivering this consistent dashboard or score under the cyber officer role will actually assist boards greatly with, um, you know, reducing the the plethora and the the breadth of KPIs that are inconsistent that are coming from different uh, service providers.
0: Okay, thanks for that, Conor. Sinead, we have a question here that is probably suited to you. Um, it asks, uh, is, cyber, is cyber insurance policy a requirement for Irish fund boards?
2: Thanks, Jason. So it's, it's not a requirement at the moment, but we do, we do see in the future that it will start, start coming in. If you, if you think about all of the regulatory developments that we spoke about earlier, um, it, it makes sense that it will be a requirement in the future.
0: So then um, I guess the final question is around data protection. And is, is data protection something that a client should be worried about for <laughs> an Irish fund board?
2: I'm always going to say yes. Um so, so data protection and the idea of a data protection officer, for example, if we if we just look at it in parallel with the, the cybersecurity officer, so it is a regulatory role that was introduced and recognized in the GDPR. organizations. So so the one that springs to mind is obviously in the public sector all public sector bodies need a data protection officer. Um in in the fund space there's been a lot of debate about whether a fund itself needs a data protection officer and I would say um it hasn't been settled. And um, there's definitely a school of thought that says it does. But regardless of whether that is a data protection officer In in Waystone, we have a range of services that we can provide to clients, and it does go from that data protection officer right through to data protection advisory services, and we we offer that today for our clients, and that is where we have quarterly board reports on data protection, on the data protection practices of the service providers, if there is any um, data breaches that we need to explain and highlight to the board, Um, if there's been any data subject access requests, if there's been any change in the Record of processing activities. So, so we we provide that whole gamut of of services. And again, the idea is to give that board the overview of the of compliance of their service providers of the fund, and to provide assurance to the board that again the obligations are being met. Because you know, data protection it is a little bit it's a bit boring. No one likes it as much as cyber. Let's be honest. Everyone just. Throws to this. If you had put data protection on this invite, we wouldn't have got half as many people, but it's cyber is the key thing at the moment. So from a data protection perspective, there are still obligations on service providers. There's still obligations on boards. So what we do as part of our service is to explain that and to give assurance to the board that those obligations are being met. We also provide training. We provide incident assessment and reporting. And again, regular briefings for the fund on data protection, regulatory findings and incidents. And data protection, it's not just that GDPR came in in 2018 and that is that. There has been numerous rulings in all of the European, um, from all of the European supervisory authorities and also from the European Court of Justice. And they have to be interpreted by, by someone that knows what they're talking about. And also, what are the implications for the board in that regard? So I do see this as we're expanding our service we can of course be that data protection officer but we can also provide those advisory services.
0: Thanks very much Sinead and there's an, there's an excellent summary there of um, the, uh, the the two services that both Connor and Sinead have been talking about which directly address the requirements that have stemmed from, from the regulators and what market participants are looking for. So um, firstly I'd like to thank uh, Connor and Sinead for joining us today and giving us insights into both the cybersecurity and data protection aspects. Thanks very much. We'd like to thank everybody for joining us today and for your questions. And needless to say that if there are any follow-up comments or queries, um, please speak to either one of your panel members, myself, or your usual Wasteland contact. Have a good day. Thank you, Jason.